Thank you for joining me on Bible Foundations again today. It's a joy to have you along as we continue our excursion through the Word of God and giving a panoramic view of the foundational truths that are essential for every person to know right from the beginning of time. In fact, before time, eternity passed, now up to the life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see again today how that he indeed is Jesus who is God, God the Son, and yet known to us as the Son of God. Now it's critically important that we understand and believe who Jesus really is. If we do not believe that Jesus is the, is the deliverer sent uh, by God into the world, the one that was promised from the beginning of time, then we will be separated from God and go to everlasting punishment forever. That's what the Bible tells us. That's why Jesus had asked Peter, whom do men say that I am? And his response has been, some say John the Baptist, some say Elias, and others say one of the prophets. And then Jesus asked Peter, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answered and saith unto him, thou art the Christ. Now the momentum of the climax of Jesus' life is coming to pass right before us. We see the intensity building up as he explains to the disciples that some very unusual things are about to happen. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and even be killed. And but after three days he would rise again. As a man, Jesus had a perfectly ordinary body. He got tired. He needed a rest. He needed a break. And sometimes he left the disciples, and sometimes he took the disciples with him when he went up into the mountain to pray and to be refreshed in his spirit as well as his body and soul. On the outward appearance, Jesus looked like a very ordinary man. But boy, when they traveled with him, they began to see firsthand that he was more than a man could be. He was the promised deliverer. He was the savior of the world. He was God who had come in the flesh. Now, when we see Peter, James, and John upon the mountain at the time of Jesus' transfiguration, as they watched, the body of Jesus began to glow. His raiments shone whiter than anything they had ever seen. That part of Jesus that was God just began to shine right through his human body. We were studying that account from Mark chapter 9, but there's another part of Scripture that verifies it too. In Luke chapter 9, verses 30 and 31. Now, now you'll remember that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, especially when there's more than one account written by more than one writer in the Scripture. And that's what we find. Let's read Luke chapter 9, verses 29 through 31. It says, And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistering. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. Even though these men left the world many years before Jesus was born, they knew the promises of God about the deliverer would all happen exactly the way God had promised. God never forgets his promises, even though thousands of years may have passed before they're fulfilled. God delights in communicating with us because he loves us, my friend. And here once again we see the account of Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus is God. Let's turn back there to Mark chapter 9, verse 5. 
Now, did you ever feel like things were so strange you didn't really know what to say, and then what you said sounded rather silly? Well, that's kind of the way it was with Peter, James, and John as they're up at the mountain. And guess who speaks up first? Good old Peter. Verse 5 says, Peter answered and said, Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. For he wist not what to say. Now, most of the time, when we don't know what to say, it'd be better if we didn't say anything at all. And I'm sure that's how Peter felt on this sort of thing. But the scripture explains it by saying, for they were sore afraid. They were seeing a demonstration of the supernatural because God himself is supernatural. He's extra beyond anything that we can possibly comprehend. And here they were, they were witnessing that Jesus was speaking with Moses and Elias in person, and they were able to see it. Now, folks, this is another verification that life is simply not over when your physical body dies. Here we see that Jesus in the human body, although it's demonstrated now before, before these disciples in a most extraordinary way, we're seeing them talk, him talk to Elias and Moses, Elijah, if you will, and Moses. Oh, they're the body of Moses may have been buried, but his soul and spirit was not buried, my friend. It was in the place of spirits that were waiting for the coming of the Savior, the ones who looked for the hope of the Savior. You see, there is a kind of a body that we can only describe as a, biblically as a kind of a soulish body that will live forever. And those who believe have the hope of salvation, and those who do not have hope of eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. So here is Jesus, witnessed by three of the other disciples who were watching this take place. And as they were watching, another strange thing happens. All of a sudden, in verse 7, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. This was God the Father speaking, confirming once again what they were seeing was not the normal human experience, but this was God revealing God the Son, and he confirms it by his own voice, saying, listen to what he has to say. This is my beloved Son, my friends. That's what God is saying. He was telling the disciples that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, the much-loved Son of God. Because Jesus was the Son of God, God told the disciples that they must listen to and obey what Jesus said. Now, friends, there, there never has been and there never will be anyone else ever again like Jesus, the Son of God. Now, God does not speak to us by a voice from heaven at this time because all he wants to say to us has been written down in the Bible so that we would have an accurate record and it wouldn't just be passed down word of mouth from us to our neighbor and so on. You see, all of the words of Jesus that God wants us to know and to obey have been written in the Bible. And God expects us to listen to them and put our trust in them. Now, several years after the transfiguration, Peter wrote this following. Right out of Second Peter, the book of Second Peter, that's almost to the book of Revelation, toward the end of your Bible. It's after the book of Hebrews. And Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 through 21 is what Peter wrote several years later. 
For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father glory and honor when he, there came a voice to him from excellent glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him on the holy mount. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well to take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Oh, my friend, the Bible is an absolutely true record of true history and a true history from God's perspective. He told those writers exactly what to write, and he doesn't give anybody the privilege of a private interpretation. God's prophets spoke God's truth, and Jesus spoke the truth. His words were given to us to lead us to God and eternal life. Without a doubt, you've heard many of the following statements that I'm going to relate to you that come to us from people of all different walks of life. You've heard there are many different ways to God. Or perhaps you've heard it's up to each person to choose his own path to God. Other people say everyone must depend upon a higher power. It's up to the individual how he seeks and chooses that higher power. And yet other people will say, we need to understand different cultures and realize that there are different religions in different countries. God will accept anyone if they're sincere. Well, my friend, no matter how educated and refined these comments may seem to be, they're all of one source and nature. They're lies of Satan. Now God knew what manner of deception Satan would offer in each generation. And in the Bible, God has given us clear, direct answers to these lies. Living illustrations, if you would, please. And that's what we're going to look at today. Oh, what a gracious Heavenly Father we have. He's made sure that we have the answers we need to life. We do not need to flounder in Satan's deceit. We have a firm foundation of truth in Jesus Christ, and we don't need to be swayed. Neither do we need to apologize for the truth. You see, Satan would like to make us believe that if we're impolite, if we tell the truth, uh, that is, that we are impolite, if we tell the truth as it's written in God's Word. After all, we might offend somebody. Well, my friend, yes, the truth does offend those who refuse to believe. But those who do believe God gives forgiveness and sonship and eternal life. And that's why God had the Bible written, so that we would know how to come to him in eternal life. Now let's look at a living illustration that Jesus gives to us from John chapter 10 concerning this. Do the words safety and security mean anything to you? Well, they usually do. And these words were important in the time of Jesus too. Many of the people whom we've read about in the Old Testament were shepherds. In the days when Jesus lived here on earth, shepherding was still common work among the Jews. So, when Jesus spoke of sheep and shepherds, 
the people were still able to identify with what he was trying to tell them. Now, though we may not be familiar with sheep, the message of this story applies to every single one of us. Now, much of the land in Israel is dry and barren, and sometimes it is very hard to find grass for the sheep. Often, the shepherds had to leave their homes and lead their sheep a long way in search for food. Many times, the shepherds would be so far from their homes that at nightfall, they had to sleep out in the fields or in the mountains with their sheep. Now, it was dangerous to sleep out in the open because there were robbers who would try to steal the sheep, and there were wild animals that would kill them as well. So, before night came, the shepherds would find a cave where the sheep would be safe, or they would build a place, make places where they could put their sheep in for the night where they would be protected. The places which the shepherds built were usually enclosures of walls of thorn bushes and stones. Now just imagine with me for a moment a stone fence built in a square to build an inside room with no ceiling, probably about six feet high, built with stone and thorn bushes. This was a measure of protection as the sheep were out in the desert and the shepherd had charge of them. This for, uh, sort of a construction was called a Jewish sheep pen or called a sheepfold. Now, pens built like this can still be found in the area of Israel yet today. Now, when night came, the shepherds would put their sheep into this protected area, and they would lie down in the entrance. And anyone who went into the sheepfold had to go past the shepherd. He was like the door or the gate into the sheep enclosure. There was only one door into the sheepfold, and that was where the shepherd was lying. Now such is the picture that we have drawn for us as we approach John chapter 10 and verse 7. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. Now Jesus was explaining that he was the way into the place of safety and security. Outside in this world are Satan and evil spirits and sin and death. They are all like robbers and wild animals which killed and ate the sheep. Now you remember that Satan always has fought against God and his will. He's a liar and a deceiver, and he hates man. Now to those people who are outside of the sheepfold, Satan gives the message that it's much safer out in his territory. After all, wouldn't a person have to give up a lot of life's pleasures to step inside that door? And after all, what would people think if someone began to believe Christ instead of following the crowd? That could make life really difficult, he'll whisper in our ears. That person might get a lot of pressure and even lose some of his friend. These are some of the thoughts that Satan puts into the minds of people as they're contemplating putting their faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior. But never forget that Satan is a liar and a deceiver. And as we've read in God's Word, Satan tells only part of the truth, and he appeals to our sinful desires. There are some things he doesn't want you to think about, you see. For example, what if a person had every selfish pleasure in this life that life could offer him, but one day he died and went to hell? You see, Satan doesn't ever mention that part. But indeed, my friend, in the end, his way is the way of death, everlasting separation from God in the fire where God will throw Satan and all of his followers one of these days. Now, how can we know what is really true? The only way we can know the truth is to know what the Bible says. John 8, 32 and 36 said, 
and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Then in the book of Jeremiah, verse tw uh, chapter 29, verse 13, God says to us, And ye shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Are you confused over what's true? Are you afraid to go into the sheepfold, into the fold of safety, as is described here? Now, my friend, the way to get over confusion is just stop and quietly whisper to God to show you the truth in his word. Just say, God, show me what is right and what is true, right from your word, and then open the Bible and follow along. You see, that's why we're studying together, so that we can know him and know Jesus Christ, whom he sent to be our Savior. You see, Jesus Christ is the only Savior, and the only way that man can please God is to come to God according to his will and plan. You can't come your own way. You have to come God's way. You can't leap over the wall, my friend. Scripture says something about that just in a moment. Jesus says in verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man shall enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus is saying that there is only one door into the sheepfold. Likewise, Jesus is the only doorway into eternal life. Now, some people might say to you that what the Bible teaches is all right for Christians, but there are other religions that also lead people to God. That is a lie of Satan, my friend. There are not many ways or many doors to acceptance and oneness with God. There are not many ways to eternal life. There is only one door to God and to eternal life, and Jesus is that door. He came to be the Savior of all people in every place, no matter what language they speak or how they live. Now God had told Noah to build the ark because God was going to punish the whole world. God commanded Noah to build only one boat and to put only one door in it. Only those who came through that one door into the ark that Noah built were saved from God's judgment. Noah was an example of faith. He believed God. And man must have faith in order to please God and be saved. Noah believed God, and he entered into the door by the one door into the ark. Because Noah trusted in God and his words, he entered in the door, and he was saved from the punishment of God. You see, here Jesus is instructing us that the way to enter the door to everlasting life is to agree with God and his words and trust only in Jesus, who is the Savior. You see, Jesus is the doorway to God. There is no other way to God. In verse 10, Jesus goes on to teach, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, and to kill, and to destroy. That's speaking of Satan. And he says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly. Jesus said that he's not like Satan, who only wants to destroy people, Jesus came into the world to give life with God forever to all who will believe on him. Now, one of Satan's lies is that his way is best and the most interesting and fun way to live. He gives people just enough pleasure to make them think that his way is better than the way offered by Jesus Christ. Oh, what a terrible lie. Satan never tells you the consequence of sin, but make no mistake about it. 
Disobedience to God is sin, and it always has a consequence. It has a consequence in life on this earth. And then, of course, it has the consequence of eternal separation from God. The Bible makes it very clear that all who refuse to believe Jesus' offer of life will be separated from God and punished forever in the lake of fire. Jesus said clearly here in this verse that he gives us life and he gives it in the fullest way. And his promises are true. The life that Jesus gives us is the best way and is never disappointing in the end. Now he came to give new life, eternal life, to all of those who will believe in him. We read in an earlier lesson that the life given by Jesus is the life that truly satisfies. You'll remember John 6:35, where Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus Christ is God, and he's loving and merciful and gracious, and he demonstrates his love to us by verse 11 in John chapter 10. It says this, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Now you remember that Jesus had already told his disciples that the leaders of the Jews would not believe him and that he was the Son of God and the Savior sent by God. That was the reason that the Jewish leaders would kill him. Jesus said that he was like the shepherd who loved his sheep so much that he would die for them in order to save them from the robbers of the wild animals who planned to kill them. You remember that the Isaiah the prophet said that Jesus would suffer and die for others. God did everything that he promised, even through his prophet Isaiah. God is faithful and he never changes. Let's read about it in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Isaiah tells us here in prophecy, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now we've seen from scripture how the Old Testament statements were made. For example, Jesus being David's descendant was found in Isaiah, and then we found it back in Matthew again, and then that he would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7:14, and that's what Jesus uh, that's what Jesus was born as, and we see that confirmed in the message of the angel to Joseph, her esp- Mary's espoused husband. We see that it was predicted in the book of Hosea that they would flee into Egypt. And then we see in Isaiah 11 that many of the characteristics that were promised of that would be a part of Jesus' life. And we see here in Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5, that he would suffer for others. Now that's a direct parallel to this passage of Scripture that we're reading in John chapter 10. God makes the prediction in the Old Testament, and guess what? He always keeps his word. This is precisely what's taking place. And we see that God is teaching us that Jesus Christ is God the Son. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. In John 14, 6, Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There is only one way to God and everlasting life. There is only one way to, get, to gain eternal life, my friend. 
Jesus is the one who came to tell us everything that God wants us to hear. You see, he had much to say to us, and we've been listening as we've studied together in Bible Foundations, and we see now that all that Jesus said is the truth, just as God the Father said is the truth. You see, he cannot lie. Jesus is the Savior of all who believe. He is the only one who can save us from everlasting death and separation from God and give us everlasting life. Oh, my friend, indeed, there is only one God. There is only one Savior for the whole world, for you and for me. And there's no other way to be saved except to come through the door. He reminds us that the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. That's what Satan wants to do with you. But he says, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Oh, my friend, God the Father has made a sheepfold for you and I. He's made us a place of safety, a place of safety from the one who would steal and lie and murder and destroy. He's the one who would take us away by believing false religions, by believing that there are other ways to God, and that I'm okay, you're okay, just let's leave each other alone. We live in a day that's preaching tolerance rather than truth, my friend, and we do want to be tolerant and loving of each other even when we disagree about various things. But, my friend, the Bible is a matter of eternal life or death. There's no other way to God except to come by Jesus Christ. You just can't come your own way. And God has provided the sheepfold. And he said there's one door into the sheepfold, just like there was only one door into Noah's ark. And in this passage of Scripture today, Jesus describes himself as the door to the sheepfold, just as though he would be the door to the ark. God gave instructions that there would be one door, and now Jesus draws a parallel here only in the form of a sheepfold. He says, I'm the door to the sheepfold. There's no other way in by, but by this door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the sheepfold. No man can come to the Father except by me. Just as in Noah's time, the only way to be saved was to go into that one door, go in by that one door, and when God closed the door, they were safe inside. And so it was now to be safe from the eternal destruction that's planned by Satan himself, who's determined to take everybody with him that he can, Jesus explains to us that he is the door. He's the good shepherd who's willing to lay his life down in that very doorway to protect his sheep, to protect those who would believe in him, to protect us from Satan and the evil spirits and the people who would say that there are other ways to be accepted by God other than Jesus the Deliverer. Oh, my friend, don't believe a word of it. Check it out in the Bible and see that Jesus said, I am the door to the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. There is no other. And Jesus promises to give his sheep everlasting life. Now, who is it that are, who is it that are Jesus' sheep? All of those who have agreed with God that they are helpless sinners and have put their trust only in him. 
There's no other way to be one of Jesus' family. There's no other way to be a part of his sheepfold. You must agree with God. Just as Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born by the Spirit of God. That can only happen to those who will believe. And just as Abraham was credited with righteousness because he believed God, so the Scriptures tell us that if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that we coming to him as sinners, looking to him for salvation, we are allowed into the sheepfold and we're a part of the family of God. We are his sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture, and he takes care of us, and he brings us in and out to good pasture. He brings us in and out, not to a handicapped life, not by any means, but to a life of fullness and abundance, a life without the weight of sin, a life without the consequence of sin. And when he saves us, my friend, we are saved indeed. It's because he did the work. He is the shepherd not we ourselves. Thank you for joining me today on Bible Foundations. Why not encourage a friend to listen daily as we continue our study through the Bible, giving a panoramic view of God in action with real living people. Join us again next time.